0: you're listening to the one of us.net podcast network Exciting! It's new-ish, sorta. We're reviewing other things. Oh, is this
1: gonna be our musical
0: episode? No, it's not. Okay, good, because I hate those. Well, we do have a musical to talk about this week. Uh, Do we? Yeah. (laughs) Is, Is it really a musical? I mean, it's got musical parts.
1: I mean, I hated it like it was a musical, so I guess it fits. we're
0: going to have some contention then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're, of course, the show that reviews home release Blu-rays and DVDs. I'm Chris. Reviews? (laughs) No, not yet. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's your name part. Oh. uh, Joe. Joe. And uh, before we get started, I just want to let you know, if you go to the actual page itself, you'll see a bunch of pictures of all the things that we are reviewing this week. The the images from the the actual covers of the Blu-rays and DVDs, if you click on those, they will bring you to an Amazon.com buy page. If you buy that item from p- said page, starting from one of our links, we get a nice little kickback, which is extremely helpful because running this site and even the show alone is really time-consuming and expensive. So all of your support helps, but that's not the only thing. Let's say you're going to get a new... Um, Diamond-encrusted cat bowl.
1: Okay, you need to stop looking at my Amazon wish list.
0: (laughs) Assuming that there is one on Amazon, or anything like that, or whatever it is that you're trying to buy on Amazon. If you start from one of our links, and then buy it from there, we still get a kickback on whatever that item is. So we would really appreciate it if you would do that. As well, please become a subscriber. Once again, the number one way you can support this site and keep it going. Can't emphasize enough. (laughs) <laughs> this isn't like an 80-hour-a-week job, and we really could use all the opportunities to keep it going as possible, and a very expensive one as well. Anyway, with that being said, let's and with no further ado. Let's go on to the... My name is Joe. No, the other thing. Oh. The oh, giveaway! No, no, no. We don't do that anymore. Oh. Reviews! Oh, yeah, that thing. <laughs> and we're going to start off with a... Um, a film? No, that doesn't seem accurate. Let's see. Uh, a, a span of time. A, a span of time we sent, spent watching a disc that got put into our Blu-ray players, which is called Enter the Warrior's Gate. Or if you saw it in another country other than America, it may have been just called The Warrior's Gate. This is a Chinese-French 2016 film, despite the fact it's all in English. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is okay so you remember that Jackie Chan movie was it the Forbidden kingdom mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well it's like that but really bad
1: well so essentially it takes the time-honored tradition of a white kid being propelled into mystical China and then saving the day
0: yeah uh, like really proving that he's better at everything than Asian people kind of like like the Dragon Ball movie I, I did not ever yeah, have the same thing, formula though. basically yeah I mean and a little bit of last starfighter thrown in there, Mm -hmm. you know, as well. I mean, because the idea is this teenage kid... uh, Uriah Shelton man some, like, poor fucking kid his past name <laughs> Uriah what the fuck is that uh, who is you might know him from Girl Meets World if you're of the type of age to watch such oh that's as. who he is shut up Jeff. no How I have seen did? Girl Meets World did you see the episode with him I did not well there oh, you go oh man uh, he is a uh, younger teen and he's really obsessed with playing this online video fantasy video game and he's like the best of the best Every, Where,
1: apparently you have to program your own uh, character models as well as actions
0: yeah with, and are with enormous detail yes <laughs> but uh even his little fat friend is like oh you're the best there is i mean he's so good at it and meanwhile the the asian guy who runs the local asian knickknack store mm-hmm. that he sometimes helps out in gives him this giant fucking urn no clue how he got it home
1: oh that an urn that has been in his family for hundreds yeah. of years
0: inexplicably just his hair here, here take it and uh, this transports him to the other world, where he is a foretold kung fu warrior, despite not actually knowing any kung fu, but surprisingly, well, not surprisingly, <laughs> but like surprisingly, if this was real, getting by pretty damn competently against people who've been training their entire lives, yeah, trying surprisingly. to save a princess, who in real life is like 22 years older than he is, by the way. Right, but well, yeah, Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, played by, I think it was Nene, and then g- fighting against an evil um, warrior guy, Aaron the Cruel, played by Dave Batista, who it must have been between Guardian of the Galaxy's movies and looking for a paycheck.
1: I honestly think that this was uh, Batista's approach. It kind of like, well, <sighs> I haven't played Drax in like a month. I need to stay on top of my game, so I'm going to yeah. be like, the, the slightly quippy, buff, uh,
0: stabby guy? Yeah. Like, this was just him working out yeah, to make sure he's in shape to play much. tracks. Because there, there's nothing here you haven't seen before and done better even in terrible movies. Yes. I mean, this is... ...is garbage of the lowest order. It really is. There's there's nothing here worth anyone's time. Not martial arts sequences. No. Of which there are very few that would even qualify as martial arts sequences. True. I mean, at its best, there's a few things that lead absolutely nowhere... ...that kind of feel like some of the, the stuff you've seen in much better wushu films. Yeah. Well,
1: I did like that uh, the, the wizard in, in ancient magical China... Uh, ...is real fond of 20th century European hats...
0: Uh, that is true. Uh, in fact, that might be giving away too much.
1: No, that's, no, there's no connection.
0: Francis, N- how do you say that? Is yeah. No? Yeah. NG? I don't want to fuck it up because I seem like a real asshole. <laughs> a very well-known Hong Kong actor and director, um, who was in like Young and Dangerous and Once Upon a Time in Triad Society and The Mission. Uh, one of those guys, he was really the only, one of the only people other than Nini that I recognized from this. I was like, oh, I know who that is. Um, uh, Nini was in the Flowers of, of War by Zhang Yimou. Anyway, uh, despite some of that talent being there, that's really surprising because there doesn't appear to be any talent in terms of writing or or, or uh, directing this thing. It's just it's trash for really little kids who might have seen an actual good martial arts film somewhere and are still too stupid. And, to and they know were the tired words. of it. But- <laughs> yeah, this. I, I don't even know why they bought. I guess the only reason they bothered release this here is because uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy films do so well, and Dave Bautista took a pretty much because
1: he's the biggest thing on the cover.
0: Well, I mean, he's literally the biggest thing in the f- film because he is gigantic. Yeah, he yeah. is huge. Uh, audio commentary with the director. I'll be shocked if anyone ever listens to that ever. Even be, like the only people who are like this movie are like five years old, and they're damn sure not listening to the commentary. Uh, there's a ten minute making of. Uh, a five-minute look at uh, cross-cultural currents within the story. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you notice how white people are automatically better at everything Asian people are the moment they try it? Except uh, except when the princess dances in the mall. Oh, no. I gave it all away. That's true. That's, that is a highly <laughs> embarrassing moment. Yeah. All right. Let's move on before I start to really feel uncomfortable and talk about a movie. I, I really did... Like a whole lot, but it's funny, I'm kind of appreciating it differently now than I did when I originally saw it, and that movie is Ghost World. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is the Criterion release for this week, and um, really, a lot of people have been calling for them to release a copy of Ghost World forever, because I think previously there was just a pretty crappy version of it out there. I had not seen it before. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. This is Terry Zwigoff, who is, does a lot of stuff with uh, independent comics. Like he, Before this, he did the incredible documentary uh, about Robert Crumb, just called Crumb, which is also put out by Criterion. Uh, and then Art School Confidential also based on a comic book uh, and then I don't know why he did Bad Santa, but whatever.
1: Because it made him a lot
0: of money. Because <laughs> it probably did make him a lot of money. But this is based on a, a uh, graphic novel by Daniel Close who's very was made very famous already before this movie came out for that graphic novel of this as well as by his long-running series 8-Ball. Close also co-wrote the script with Zwiegolf and even though there's a lot of differences between this and the comic book. For instance, mm-hmm. Steve Buscemi's character is like a a footnote in the graphic novel. He's a very small part of it, and here the movie yeah. kind of centers around him. It's Buscemi heavy, definitely. <laughs> it really is. Uh, this was also the world's introduction on the whole. I think, in terms of like a big, well-known performance to Scarlett Johansson, who is. Oh, I thought
1: you were going to say Thor Birch.
0: No, she was already in American Beauty before this. Oh, that's right. Um, Thor Birch plays the lead Enid. Scarlett Johansson plays her best friend Rebecca. She was like 15 years old when she did this movie. I'm she watching. At- Courtney's like, you're just watching this so you can be all, oh, Scarlett Johansson. I'm like, Courtney, she's 15 years old here. I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you. They are too. Deeply hipster high school graduates Just freshly out of high school um, Yeah, paving
1: the way for hipsters
0: Oh yeah, this is like proto-hipster Like, I mean, it really is the template Of which all <laughs> hipsterism was based afterwards On these two characters The funny thing is the director and writer clearly know these are not supposed to be positive qualities. Right, but yeah. But that didn't stop a whole generation from following in great admiration <laughs> of, the, of their personalities. Uh, they don't like people except to make fun of them. They feel very alone, except that that's mainly because they treat everyone else around them like total shit. Right, <laughs> which is, is great for isolation. Yeah, it's terrific for isolation. But uh, as they start to become... Separated by post high school because Scarlett Johansson's character is a little more like, well, you know, we I got to get a job. I can't live with my parents. You yeah, know? there's all this living I have to support. Yeah, I have to move forward with my life. Enid is kind of not really that interested in that. She wants to keep living in this ghost world.
1: Well, it, what's what's great is the like uh, they don't even have like the that artistic spark that makes them misunderstood and tortured. They're just kind of like you know pieces of shit.
0: Yeah, they're, I mean, they're funny in their snarky way, for right. sure. It's funny to watch them, but, my God, you would write someone off out of your life so fast <laughs> if they were like this. But, hey, like I said, they're like 17. Or, you know, I mean, Scarlett Johansson's literally 15, but she's playing like 17. Right. Um, yeah, Thor Birch is actually considerably older than her here as well, but she didn't really look at it. But Enid, Thor Birch's character, uh, they meet this through torturing him through a personal ad. They find a middle-aged, lonely guy, Seymour... Um, uh, played by Steve Bashemi who had said sort of, hey, I thought we made one of those uh, misconnections things. So we made contact. And so they tell them, they, they leave a response saying, oh yeah, I want to meet you too. Meet me at this place. And they show up but of course they don't like go up and talk to him, they're just there reveling in his misery that...
1: Looking at the schlump know.
0: who showed up. But then somehow Enid kind of gets obsessed with him and even makes a connection with the guy showing up at his his weekly yard sale to sell records, because he's a, he is a geek for ancient records. Um, also on the hipster spectrum. Also on the hipster spectrum, although he's much nicer than your average uh, hipster, despite being a misanthrope himself. True. But it's almost a, that, that misanthropy and that strangeness that draws the two of them together. But, you know, as this goes on, Seymour as well, partially through her own efforts as as his friend, starts to move, finally move forward in life. And then she realizes, hey, everyone's moving forward and I'm still here. I'm going to fuck up everybody's
1: shit. (laughs) Time time to get nasty.
0: Yeah, it's, this is a a funny, endearing film that's also very, very dark and uncomfortable at points. Mm -hmm. You know, not like, not in a sort of like, oh, people are getting murdered or anything like that. But, like, just people make the most terrible decisions here. You just feel so bad for anyone who's in Enid's life, kind of. (laughs) And not particularly Enid. No, not particularly Enid. Um, uh, Brad Renfro, this was one of his last roles before he died of, uh, I believe, a heroin overdose. Mm -hmm. uh, Plays, like, their best friend, who they also, like, just torment all the time.
1: Yeah, I think the thing was... We don't really like him. We just like messing with
0: him. There's actually a deleted scene on here. There's several really good deleted scenes on here, but one of them that's interesting they left out where Enid comes to him and basically, like, sleeps with him because he's like, I thought you couldn't stand me. And she's like, no, that's the way I treat people that I like. (laughs) And you're like, okay, that, that, you know, you never get, but maybe a faint intuition of that. There's any attraction mm-hmm. there from her side of the movie, Pat Healy, very o- early role in this. Ileana Douglas playing the flakiest art teacher in the entire Fantastic. universe. Bob Balaban playing Enid's poor father, Terry Gar playing, uh, his poor girlfriend. <laughs> uh, David Cross has a small appearance in this. It's very funny. Um, I actually think this is like kind of a masterpiece for a, portrait of time and partially because yeah like I said she's such an unsympathetic character but she's also equally fascinating
1: well it's it's one of those movies where uh, the the beholder has a lot to do with with how you take the, the story itself like, uh my girlfriend just thought completely different things than I did. And apparently, you know, she had watched it when she was like 15. And and when we watched it together, she took something completely different away from it. So, yeah. it, you know, it's one of those great pieces that has a lot of room for, for people to insert themselves.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, like I said, I felt so completely different about this now than I did when I originally saw it. Other than both times, I liked it. Uh, the Blu-ray, which is Criterion, of course, comes with a bunch of stuff, including a brand-new 42-minute documentary, bringing back Dora Birch, Scarlett Johansson, Ileana Douglas, talking uh, about the film. Um, deleted, the collection of deleted scenes, about 10 minutes worth. The, if you remember, that, if you've seen this before, the opening scene has this musical, 1965 Bollywood musical scene that Enid is kind of dancing to as she's mm-hmm. watching. And the entirety of that video, that sequence of... Uh, from that movie is included here, along with an optional commentary, uh, <laughs> and then there 's a brand new audio commentary by Terry Zwigoff uh, and Daniel Close and the producer um a one of the better booklets they put out for walkers lately they've been doing leaflets and this is an actual booklet nice as well as a little mini comic that comes with a one of the portions the portion from the the comic that actually dealt with steve buscemi's character which like i said is very small in the original one as well as a little follow-up it's like where are they now with a bunch of like you know but like a clue version where it's like well maybe that's not how it happened maybe this is how it happened Mm -hmm. with then in the end uh The two main characters show up and are like, what are you doing, you pretentious hat? Get out of here. None of that shit happened. Yeah, this is top-notch stuff. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, In fact, it is my pick of the week. Yeah, I'd
1: I'd, I'd agree with that.
0: All right, well, let's move on to the film that obviously is going to be contentious, and that is the live-action remake of Beauty and the Beast. Certainly, this was the film a lot of people were going... Why are you making this? The animated film from Disney has generally been regarded as, uh, you know, if not the best, certainly one of the best of the Disney animated films. And it's kind of like, why screw with something that's that perfect? Well, Disney has an answer, and it sounds like this cha-ching! Because you take an actress who has uh, been one of the most beloved originally for children series, children growing up, uh, Emma Watson from the Harry Potter series, and pluck her down in the middle of this, and you've got a whole new uh, version of this for a generation of kids that may not be as in, in love with the originally animated film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, you've got director Bill Condon making this remake, who certainly has both really strong and... Eh, History. I mean, l- yes, he directed the first two Twilight films, but let's face it, with those scripts, there wasn't much you could do. And, once again, you gotta pay for the stuff you really wanna do by taking some shit that you don't care about. Yeah. Uh, but he did uh, yeah. Chicago. Yeah. He wrote the screenplay for Chicago, which is amazing. He directed Dream Girls, which is amazing. Gods and Monsters, Kinsey. Um, he, excellent, excellent director. And I think he actually really does manage to bring something to this that while not unfamiliar, kind of reignites the passion I felt when I saw the animated cartoon for the first time? Okay. All right. Joe feels differently. <laughs> Let me have it. Uh,
1: nobody was on top of their game except for the guy playing
0: Gaston. Dan- uh, oh, uh, Luke Wilson. Yeah. Who was... Luke Wilson's one of those guys I'm always like, half the time I can't scan him, and the other half the time I was like, wow, this guy's good. He should be in better stuff. Yeah. And he's, he and Josh Gad is playing his, like, his clearly gay-for-him assistant. Well, uh, maybe, kind of. I don't know. That was also part of it because it kind of
1: blurted a bit. And Gad is a fantastic—I've seen him in Book of Mormon live. And oh, he's, wow. He's fantastic. And this was, this was nowhere close to what he can do.
0: Well, no, I mean, like, Josh Gad, I think, is enormously talented. Absolutely. But I think the two of them, as a comedy team, do some great stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that. Uh, other than Gaston just being a, a straight-up uh, dick, that was the other good part about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, that is kind of the point, I guess. Though you're not going to have like this rewritten version of Gaston that actually it turns out he was right the whole time, and everybody. <laughs> that would have been it. that would have been something. They're, they're, they're going to do a Grendel type version of this where it's <laughs> like, yeah, it turns out Beauty and the Beast. Real dickheads. They're pretty much like the two main characters from Ghost World. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I personally, like I said, I I did like this. People complained about the singing. I really don't see the problem. I mean, no, she's not a Broadway quality singer, but. You know, if she was doing karaoke in a room with you, everyone would applaud and go, "Damn, girl, you belted that shit out!" She's pretty good. She's just not, I guess, as good as people were going into this thinking she had
1: to be. Well, maybe they didn't auto tune as much as they could have.
0: I mean, she certainly has a very different singing style than the actress who originally voiced the character in the cartoon, which is much more Broadway. Well, it's because Emma Watson was was throat singing, and she wasn't actually classically. <laughs> no, I'm
1: not. I'm not joking. Really? You sing from your throat, you can sound more impressive, but it takes a huge toll on your throat, mm. and it's not true diaphragm singing
0: okay so Uh, that's
1: one thing another thing was for fuck's sake i understand that you're trying to make it a feature-length movie as opposed to the much shorter animated but guys brevity like they got it they figured it out there's like there's only so much you can say about stockholm syndrome to glamorize it before
0: (laughs) people get bored it is 129 minutes which is really long for a film that's clearly pointed at children yeah very strange. Um, I, I actually really like Dan Stevens as the prince, as the beast, but once again, it begs the question, was there any need for them to be a CG version of him instead of a makeup version? No. Like in every other version ever made of this that was pretty damn good? Well, because
1: the CG was decent, but then when they add the little touches, that's where I was like, uh, stupid looking. Like, like when the, the, the hairs on his face, like the little tiny ones would kind of wave. is like, oh man, that looks fake.
0: Just do the fucking makeup. It's not right. a terribly hard makeup. They did it in the fucking black and white era in like the 20s and it looked great on an actor or just you tell me you couldn't make it even better now i mean come on or they should have got a rob perlman like damn <laughs> the beast he doesn't have to wear any makeup yeah well, he, just, he already played the beast
1: i know that's what i'm saying <laughs>
0: but make this the continuation of the linda hamilton ron perlman yeah except just series? him he's the
1: only continuity
0: <laughs> <laughs> i i really like dan stevens actor i think he acts through that cg reasonably well i mean he's no um What's his name? Who played Gollum? Uh, the Gollum guy. The you know Andy Serkis. He's okay. no Andy Serkis, who is I think hands down the best like mocap actor around. As you'll you will all be confirmed by when you see War of the Planet of the Apes coming up soon. But um I mean, I, like I said, I liked it overall. I thought some of the other characters were more forgettable than they were in the cartoon. You've got e- Ewan McGregor as Lumiere, Stanley Tucci as Ma- Maestro Maestro Cadenza, Ian McKellen as Cogsworth, Emma Thompson as Mrs. Potts. Uh I mean, I'll, they
1: definitely front loaded it with talent.
0: Yeah, I just, you know, it's it's one of the things. There's so much CG, you still keep going. Well, then why is this a live action movie? What's the point if <laughs> so much of it is CG? Uh, Google about the raw, Audra McDonald, uh, Nathan Mack. There's, I mean, there's a lot of talent in this thing. And like I said, I, I, I personally really did enjoy this, but it's been a while since I've seen the animated version too. Maybe that would have hurt it if I had watched that more recently. Maybe. Probably even, but I, th- I still find this to be a solid watch. Um, there is, uh, Disney tends to put out these things when they care about them at all with a lot of extra features. And there are quite a few here, uh, including the, a, uh, 13 and a half minute table read basically with, in- that includes music singing and dancing and then still artwork and scenes from the film interspersed. There's a 27 minute general making of, uh, there's the woman behind Be- Beauty and the Beast. The wom- woman behind Beauty and the Beast. With Emma Watson talk- talking about Hurls Bell and uh, looking at several of the, the other women in this. From song to screen, making the musical sequences. There's an extended version of the song, Days in the Sun, with in an introduction by the director. Six and a half minutes of deleted scenes. Um, Celine Dion. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> talking about her Performance in the animated version. Uh, the actually, I don't know why that's here. Uh, Her talking about like if she want deciding if she wanted to perform here, who cares? Um, a music video by Ariana Grande and John Legend, uh, making of that music video and then one of those karaoke carousel things here. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, the company that I worked for, uh, did a lot of cross promotion with Beauty and the Beast and sponsored a huge media blitz. Really glad I don't work there anymore so I never have to see those stupid posters around the
0: office. (laughs) Well, our next film is going in back to Hong Kong. And this is uh, the first film we've had in a little while that's come over here from legendary director Ringo Lam, mm-hmm, who's mm-hmm. probably known by many for City on Fire, yeah. which is the film Tarantino. I'm not going to say ripped off because he didn't, but borrowed very heavily for 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 the film Reservoir Dogs. Uh, but Ringo Lam, of course, worked early in Chow Yun-Fat's career with him on several movies. Um and went on to do several of the more influential films to come out of Hong Kong in the late 80s and the 90s, like uh, Prison on Fire, School on Fire. Shit on okay, Fire. Okay, a lot of films on fire, to be fair, a lot. <laughs> Twin Dragons, Full Contact. Which Wait, is, what's the name of this again? It's called Sky on Fire. Okay. Uh, mm, Full Contact, <laughs> which is my favorite movie by him. I mean, a lot of... Like very crazy action packed, but all wait, modern day. Type wait, wait, stuff.
1: wait, 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 wait! Simon says isn't like Dennis
0: Rodman. Simon says. I uh, yeah, apparently he there did. we go. Oh, that okay. was during that period when they were trying to yeah. get all the Asian Asian hot shot directors to come over here and work with American with, with action worm. people, yeah. and it didn't work out for anybody but John Woo, and even then just for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> um This is, I mean, it's not. Ringo Lamb's best by any stretch of the imagination, but I think there's a lot more going on here to keep your attention and to have fun with in an action movie sense than there have been in uh, almost any of the recent lot like modern day Hong Kong action films we've reviewed. Mm. I- <laughs> That's his concise retort.
1: I thought it was par. <laughs> I, th- I thought it was it was it was neither destructive nor elevating.
0: Okay. It was in the middle. Yeah. It, it was milk-a-toast. <laughs> it, it was indeed. Uh, now, if you're going to ask me what the story is here, well, for fuck's yeah, sake, <laughs> It's one of those where you're like, okay, you can kind of follow it as it's going along, sort of, but there's so many subplots, it's... I, it would be impossible for me to really tell you everything that was involved here yet it has something to do with an a evil medical pharmaceutical company that d- wants to keep a new technology to themselves and other people don't and some people are dying of cancer and they're trying to save it and then people are switching sides and working to the company to helping out cancer people and then lots and lots of shit blowing up and traffic cars exploding and motorcycles getting swept off the road riveting hospital scenes people being well much more riveting than three, that is for sure. <laughs> Did you watch that one with me? I don't think so. Oh, God. Bruh. That was a whole one in a hospital, and me and Marco were both like, Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. Uh, I mean, yeah, once again, as somebody else said, not exactly a model of narrative clarity, but I think it was one of those that, like, it was just slicker done than a lot of the ones I've seen lately, and a lot more, a lot faster to get back to the action than a lot of these, which tend mm-hmm. to have gotten a little too heavy of late with the Acting as if their plot means anything, which, you know, there are uh, some that do, but there's way too many B action movies that try and – they're way too pretentious about, you know, anybody caring about the characters in them or anything – I th- that when this does get to action, it's pretty impressive action. I thought it is. It is, and it, it ends is. with a a pretty darn good CG effect of a a giant fucking building exploding and destroying a large portion of Hong Kong. Almost you know?
1: like the sky was on fire. I see what had
0: they they did there. <laughs> but but then that just leads to a city on fire. It does. Oh my god! It's all full circle. There's cops and there's criminals and there's everything you expect. But I think if you're a fan of the late 80s, 90s action films, this is one you'll actually enjoy. Eh. No one's going to put it among the best of them, but it's it's like almost... A, you probably won't hate it. It's pleasantly reminiscent of the time when times were better in, that, <laughs> okay. in Hong Kong so cinema. fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Uh, all right. So let's move on from Sky on Fire to Aftermath. Arnold Schwarzenegger proving once again that he is totally a Russian. No, no, that he totally thinks he can act really well.
1: I feel so bad for him after watching this. I get it, like, oh, the governator's bad guy. she don't know why. blobby bloops. bloops, But I just felt so bad for him watching this.
0: Oh, well, I did too. I mean, not just because it's supposed to be a very, you know. Oh yeah, not, not in the because sense of the being story. sympathetic to no, the character. No, not that at all. But that, like Arnold Schwarzenegger was once the biggest action star in the world. i the fact that he never could act really, right. at all. He was just charismatic. Is now decided to uh, probably because he's not in any good physical shape to do anything <laughs> like that anymore. Thing to go. He's going to give the acting thing go, and he's made like two really dour, depressing mm-hmm. dramas in a row. He did that one with Maggie. The, yeah, the zombie like that you were like oh a horror movie that is totally not a horror movie. No. <laughs> That's just a really it's depressing more of a, drama. Like a road trip movie. Um, and aftermath is yeah just a really depressing drama, proving that he's all right. If he wasn't Arnold Schwarzenegger, never in a billion years would he have been cast in this role. No, Stephen Tobolowsky would have been this dude. Yeah, or somebody. <laughs> Anybody with more of a career. It's just, dude, you know, I'm sure you're rich as fuck. You don't even need to act anymore. Like, maybe it's time to just bow down, bow out Respect. Or go back to being governor. A lot of people like them. Yeah let's not get carried out. Uh, this is based loosely on a true story. He plays Roman Melnick. There's a the name. Construction worker. Greatest guy in the world, as the movie keeps reminding you. Yeah, everybody likes him. He's waiting for his wife and daughter uh, to come in on a plane he's super excited everyone at work is like no nah, man you're the best go home you don't even come in like later you just go home and you relax and you get your house set yeah. up for your you family.
1: go home shit some gold and then pick up your wife and daughter <laughs>
0: you're the greatest guy in the world but there's a terrible accident two planes have crashed into each other and he is of course devastated because his wife and child died on said plane one of said planes meanwhile it switches very suddenly and surprisingly, to the story of the air traffic controller who done fucked up.
1: No, no, to, to the air traffic controller bumping uglies. Then he goes to work oh, and right. fucks yeah, up. Oh, right, yeah,
0: first he's bumping uglies. So, <laughs> and then he goes goes to work and fucks up, played by Scoot McNary. Uh, and so it's kind of the story of him sort of sinking into the mire of depression while Arnold Schwarzenegger is sinking into the mire of depression, eventually discovering that maybe the... That what he really needs is revenge, which sounds like the beginning of a cool action movie, but there is no action in here at all. And I'm not – I knew that ahead of times. I don't think I was disappointed because I'm like, man, I was expecting something else. I knew exactly what this was. And it's tolerable. Yeah. I, I think uh, they had more
1: room uh, to explore the air traffic controller side of things because that was infinitely more interesting.
0: I, I kind of thought so, too. There was definitely that, – that guy was set – his – emotional scenario I thought was incredible, incredibly more complex and interesting yeah. than Arnold Schwarzenegger's was but because they're based on the true life incident they felt like they had to go a certain way I mean even in real life apparently the character Schwarzenegger was playing the the real guy was not this sympathetic sad beloved guy apparently he was a real whack job
1: <laughs> as you'd kind of have to be but
0: you know what i mean like yeah. there was not really this whole other like deep sentimental side to him he was a fucking kind of a psycho as <laughs> once again you'd kind of have to be and i think that's the big suspension of disbelief here that that you never quite get over maybe if they had had a better actor than arnold schwarzenegger yeah but, but they didn't and so this is the movie we saw and it was kind of eh yeah it wasn't
1: the worst
0: No, I mean, I was like, I wasn't like, Jesus, when is this gonna end? But I was still like, when is this gonna end (laughs) (laughs) there's still the same sentiment just not that emotional about it there's a commentary with the director and producer interviews with uh the director and director of photography and then the original trailer even Schwarzenegger couldn't be bothered to show up for the bonus features why would he even (laughs) Scoot McNary couldn't be bothered because Scoot McNary's in oh wait
1: halt and catch fire that's where oh I was because I was trying to remember I was like Uh, why do I know that stupid face he's
0: been in a lot of stuff he's he's one of those chameleon actors like he always looks really different right he's one a few times like oh wait that is Scoot McNair but I really liked him in Halton Catch Fire I, I like Halton Catch Fire too I like him in it uh, alright so let's move on to the movie that I would say is probably the biggest car crash of the films we're reviewing today oh, that was a toughie
1: but I, and,
0: and uh, directed by somebody who's really a legend this, this is The Assignment by Walter Hill Walter Hill Definitely one of the all-time great sort of action crime movie directors who made like The Warriors and The Driver and Southern Comfort and 48 Hours, uh, uh, Last Man Standing, very underrated movie. Oh, fantastic movie. So good. And he even wrote the original Steve McQueen uh, drama, The Getaway, like, just such a fantastic director who has fallen on hard times, clearly. Uh, Although this script, apparently, he's been toying with for decades. Should've kept toying. Originally, it was called The Reassignment. That is not a joke by me. It really originally was called that. And the reason why that, I'm saying that's not my fault, that's not a joke. It's the story of a hit man who... Man. uh, Hit man. Man. man, Who, uh, you... Who uh, took a job to kill a guy, and it turned out said guy had a rich and completely psychotic um, surgeon sister who was not happy about it, played by Sigourney Weaver, who then had the guy found and uh, chloroformed and operated on and gave him, without his permission, a sex change. Upstairs. So basically, uh, right when we see this guy, which they never showed should have shown him as a guy at all, is the first mistake they made here, because it's... You don't want to be insensitive, but I'm sorry. If you don't break up laughing seeing Michelle Rodriguez wearing a full hairy chest thing and having a dick, then uh, well, you're, then come on, you're trying, you're really, you know, you're holding it back. So that's it's ridiculous. part of what
1: was so weird about it was they went through all the effort to make the chest piece, to make the dick piece, to make the crepe-haired beard. But if they had just spent an extra twenty minutes on it, they could have added more male definition to to yeah. her to make it look like okay, well, more broad trunk, whatever, blah blah blah. Yeah,
0: but nah, nah. Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, like you, like the first time you see, you see her from the back, and you're like, there's nothing masculine. They didn't even bother to put hair on her back. Right.
1: It's pretty much just like, oh, okay, they obviously don't care.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I, like, I, you know. <sighs> I mean, it's not like this is based on a true story or anything. In fact, even the director's like, look, we were trying to basically make, like, a B film here that had, like, exploitation-type stuff to it. But we were also trying very hard not to be insensitive. And I don't think there's, strictly speaking, anything that's, like... Super insensitive here. No, It's no. just—it's insensitive. You made such a bad movie about a transgender right, to good person. Taste. Yeah, it's yeah, a good it. taste. Because Michelle Rodriguez decides she's going to get revenge on Sigourney Weaver, and the movie is told a bunch of flashbacks, flash forwards, flash sideways as Sigourney Weaver is being interviewed in a psychiatric hospital after the whole fact by Tony Shalhoub. Uh, her doctor and kind of fucking with him Man, she's actually the most annoying character in this whole thing. Oh, Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, she's this yeah. pretentious, like constantly quoting Shakespeare and stuff, and then going, "Oh, you probably don't know who that is, do it, you?"
1: Well, it's kind of like if if uh, this- if Fraser were actually a capable human being and a
0: villain. Yeah, well, yeah. same thing. <laughs> yeah but Fraser doesn't like talk down to you to that level, you know. You well,
1: know? He, I'm sure he would if he was in prison. Yeah, maybe
0: so. Um, Anthony De Paglia is in this for a little bit. It's like a mob guy. Uh, this is, I mean, there's nothing cool enough here, like in a, even in a B movie way, to make it worth a watch.
1: No, because they, they even did uh, like comic book inspired
0: overlays of a lot of stuff. Yeah. To really get real shitty. Yeah. To add like that feel, like, oh, it's, see, it's trashy. It's cool. It's, it's <laughs> trashy. Yeah. It's not cool. It's not cool, trashy. It's not even, it's just. It's almost like if you want to go there, you gotta put something else in there to go with it. Like make the make it over the top violent, which it yeah. never really yeah, is. because you know
1: what? We've we've seen movies where people get shot like a whole bunch of times. Yeah, so
0: they <laughs> put bring that on. Somebody. That's on TV every right now uh, somewhere, <laughs> uh, everywhere. No matter where you live in the world, it's on TV right now, and it's about as violent as this. I don't know. This is like the height of of uh, of like. Somebody reaching to so high to try and do something that he hadn 't seen anybody do yet, and then not thinking it through all the consequences of it.
1: Or a lot of people needed to to renew their SAG guard.
0: Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> um, yeah, this is the assignment is trash. Your assignment is to not watch this movie. Goo. Okay, so we're gonna go on one here. I don't. I admit I don't know much about the history of yakuza films. Uh-huh. I've only seen some of the more modern stuff that's come out. You know, like mm-hmm. some of the uh, the uh, beat Takeshi stuff. Okay, I've seen like Outrage and Outrage Two, both excellent. But I don't really have a thorough knowledge of the history of this. But after seeing this new movie from Arrow, Cops versus Thugs, that I'm saying, wow, this was a really highly respected Yakuza film came out in 1975 uh, the magazine Complex called it number six on their list of the 25 best Yakuza movies ever made I was like well maybe I'll start reading a little bit more about this and now I have a whole list of shit I gotta see well there you go apparently Battles Without Honor or Humanity is like the number one absolutely I'm see it. sure it one. is I, I, I don't bet know it well I know I you know a lot it. about Asian films so yeah. I didn't know if you were like uh,
1: well I mean like this era is a little bit earlier than what I usually go into because like you know coming around to like Shuruyuki Hime period Lady Snowblood. Oh
0: yeah, which you know, is great, like,
1: like that period. But uh, no, I mean this. The, so there's that that one. Uh, James Mitchum, Robert mm-hmm. Mitchner, Shogun. Uh, not sure. That's not Michener. no, it's, That's no, it's not Shogun. But it's it's about a dude who in World War Two knocked up this Japanese broad, and then he comes back, and it's like the mid '60s, and he he plays you know hard man, and just like fixes all her problems with violence. Uh, and it's it's got that weird like these people aren't necessarily cool, but everything about this fucking movie is super cool. And this has that in the same time period hmm. in in the exact same setting. Hmm. Uh, what's what's interesting to see is that while these this is not like the the genesis of, of like yakuza trope, uh, because you know yakuza are kind of <laughs> responsible for the yakuza tropes, uh, it so clearly plants its flag and establishes like yeah you're gonna see this type of reference all the goddamn time for the next fifty years,
0: yeah no, no question like this was uh, probably pretty goddamn influential, yeah,
1: and it was pretty awesome to boot, so
0: yeah, I really like this a lot, and like I said, a lot of times these seventies japanese like like thrillers um Kind of like, okay, I get it. You want to show your style, but this is taking way too long. And Cop versus Thugs, despite the very unfortunate title, uh, apparently actual direct translation is police versus violence groups. So you can see why they changed the name. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. It's two Yakuza families. You've got the Kawaide, Kuwaiti who use who are politically connected. And they're kind of, you know, they're trying to go legit, essentially, by, by buying politicians and Mm -hmm. like trying to get all the the construction contracts and stuff. And then you have the Ohara who have deals with the police that have been in line for a long time. It sounds like they've been around a lot longer and have kind of has more of the old school way of doing things and paying police to look the other way. But you have kind of the main character is really one of the policemen who's, you know, long since been, Corrupt, but he's also kind of a good cop at the same time,
1: right? He's just trying to minimize the bullshit that that causes collateral damage.
0: Yeah, he's point. basically just trying to do. It. He's like, guys, you, like you've got all these new guy police guys coming in, going, no, all quick. Crime must stop, and he's like going, and the the crime guy's like, "It's time to kill some cops," and he's in there like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Look, here's some money for you. Here's some eyes looking the other way for you. We'll all be happy." Yeah,
1: everybody contradicts. dicks. Let's just
0: let's just let's just end the day. But it's kind of you know, it's it feels like a period of time movie that really is something that happened in Japan that point where the police started going. Hey, wait! We can't keep doing this. <laughs> I mean, I have no idea to degree to which things settled down and the corruption sets creeped back in today. Yeah. But there was definitely a point in their history that there was a very active police are shutting down all of the yakuza period, and this feels like very much based on that.
1: And hopefully, it was swinging and sexy like this. Just kidding. There's there's a fair amount of rough sex on this.
0: There is a fair amount of rough sex. <laughs> yeah. Trigger warning. To be sure, so if, if, these films can get a little rapey.
1: Yeah, so if you're bothered by that, uh, pass. But, yeah. uh, but if you're not, and I'm not saying you have to be into it, that's not what I'm saying. Oh,
0: wait, yeah, no, no, I'm just ready. just a warning that there is that sort of thing is going to be in, in, in pretty much most of the fil- Japanese crime films in the 70s, <laughs> and this one being no exception. <laughs> but it if you can deal with that, and it's always important to remember, it was a different period of time. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> you know, then you've got a pretty goddamn solid film. And Arrow put in some nice extras in here um featuring a biographer of the the director uh doing a special feature about him. Uh there is a visual essay dealing with how the uh in uh the director of Fuak- you say it. Uh Fuakasaku uh, saku. uh so Fuka bad saku. It. Okay, there you go. We'll go with what, what he said. But looking at how you know he all his films deal with moral shades of gray. Something like the, like the definitely, it feels like films like this deeply influenced the American films of the 70s as well because that was when that started. Yeah, like
1: the grittiness and the like, yeah, that
0: whole, your protagonists aren't always like the greatest guys in the world. They're often criminals. Um, There's behind the scenes footage for about five minutes. Uh, You know, it's not as big a package as you expect, but I imagine there's only so much stuff existent even together for this. But yeah, if you're following in, like a lot of the great, like Japanese films, Arrow's been putting out lately. This is another nice one to put into your collection. I would highly recommend it. Uh, Arrow also put out here, and we're going to end our show with it this week, a uh, nice little French drama that is weirdly reminiscent of American films in some way. It has the sort of, like... That old spooky house mixed with Clue feel to it. <laughs> yeah. uh, a 1961 French drama called Spotlight on a Murderer by George Franjou. Now, this is definitely, for French film, the equivalent of, like, Trashy Movie Night. Which, yeah. You know, you know <laughs> I mean, it's not, like, a, a, a riveting classic, but... It is fun. It's almost that trashiness with the, uh, it's really hard for French people to make a totally trashy movie, I think, to, that makes it kind of
1: fascinating. I'll be real honest here. I was bored as pissed with this. Uh-huh. so, like, I, I noticed, like, this This was not the movie for me when I kept, like, oh, let me go check Gmail. Hold on. Refresh. <laughs> no new messages.
0: Yeah, it's hard to do that with a film that's subtitled. But, you know, it's okay. <laughs> Well, it,
1: it motivated me.
0: Um... <laughs> Uh The director, George Franju, actually ended up making—it um it, it was the film he made more or less right after his film that is considered an all-time classic, Eyes Without a Face, although mm-hmm. that as well as one that was when made was considered to be just kind of trashy, mm-hmm. like a horror movie. But now it's considered to be one of the all-time greats. Um, I actually had fun with Spotlight on a Murderer, but you're right, it's very slow-moving. The idea is this guy— doesn't die. He disappears. And we kind of we see what happens to him at the beginning of the movie. He goes into a secret panel and dies behind a secret panel in his huge house. But then all his families called him by lawyer. said, all right, here's the deal. Like, all you guys who don't like each other, you're all hot, like, will have your chance to inherit, you know, your portion of the estate, which is, like, ginormous. But the problem is the law says it's going to be like 10 years before you can actually get any money because we can't find the guy's body. So he's not legally dead for that long. <laughs> uh, but y'all are responsible for taking care of the estate, which is fucking expensive. So they decide to turn it into a tourist attraction because it's a very old castle and build like this elaborate you know, speaker and lights type thing talking about like old stories of like drama and intrigue that happened at the castle. Only problem is people are actually dying. Someone is taking out the family members one at a time. So it's like a mystery. Who's killing the family? And it's not the most riveting mystery in the world, to be sure. But some of them play out kind of cool. Eh. Just like, (laughs) man, I'll tell you what's happening on my Gmail when I watch this. That was fascinating. You know, uh, I I think this is going to be more of a curiosity for anybody who really enjoyed Eyes Without a Face than anything else. But yeah, it's a forgettable, but I found interesting little French, like, mystery drama that would have been better if it had some comedy injected into it you know I watched this I was like if you would put some funny in here this could have been a oh, pretty sure. good film yeah any sort of flavor
1: <laughs> it doesn't have a lot of flavor great location though for sure oh yeah okay I'll, I'll give you that but even then you're like okay I saw that picture
0: uh, there's about a 30 minute uh, French television piece uh, from 1960 documenting, documenting the shoot of the film and then just the trailer so and a booklet that comes with this insert booklet so not a lot, but once again, this seems like it was an all but forgotten little French film that, you know, uh, companies like Arrow like to dig up and go like, hey, here you go. Yeah, and I say au Hey, sometimes those little films they dig up, I'm grateful for. Other times <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, come see, come saw. So. <laughs> At least
1: I got another clamshell. <laughs> all
0: right, well, that's it for this week's. Uh, Blu-ray DVD extravaganza, Digital Noise. Thank you for joining me again, Joe. You're welcome. And uh, actually, the next show you should be getting in about a day. Maybe Monday. We'll see. Depends on how much work I have to do uh, with me and Marco. In the meantime, like I said, please be a subscriber. Helps so much. I mean, really, it's you know, it's what keeps us going. If it's not for you subscribers, there would be no site. I would have to quit doing this. In fact, there have been times I'm like, I don't have enough subscribers. I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this. So Subscribe. So you can keep me and all these guys talking into your lovely ear holes.
1: Because quite frankly, the uh, digital noise live show, which is usually just like uh, people we meet at the bar when we try to tell them our our feelings on movies, they don't care.
0: They don't. They're so rude. Yeah, we rely on you guys who are less drunk than they are. And interested. (laughs) Well, presumably. Assuming anyone's out there. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Those of you who are out there, I believe. I believe. Tinkerbell, come back to life.
1: Oh, no, I'm dead again.
0: (laughs) Thank you. One of us.net has been your one-stop shop for all things geek for years. But there's a side to them many of you have never heard. The subscription side. Subscribe and listen to great podcasts like The Breakfast Pub, The Original Gentleman, and the Watch a Movie with Us series. Head on over to oneofus.net and don't forget your towel.